Welcome back, friends. Today's guest is Jennifer Peterson Anderson. After 10 or so years living in California and Michigan, Jennifer moved home to Albuquerque. And wow, is she busy. Jennifer is a partner at a law firm, a board member of a national insurance company, and she served on the New Mexico Medical Board for eight years. She and her husband, Bob, have two biological daughters and one bonus daughter. Many of us have been involved at the Academy since graduation, but Jennifer might win the prize. Her roles include mother of Academy students, spouse of an Academy faculty member, manager of the varsity soccer team, and general counsel. While some of us dream of far off travel or writing a screenplay when we become empty nesters, Jennifer is looking forward to spending more time with family, including her granddaughter, who was born earlier this year. Thanks for joining us. You know, you've got to eat. You've got to eat. And if people have to hear you chew a little bit, I think it's going to be okay. Yes, this podcast is called Two Friends Chewing. (laughs) I have my headphones, so hopefully that will drown out some of the noise in the background. (laughs) These are the, the glamorous parts of podcasting that nobody talks about. I know. <laughs> Have you ever listened to Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach's podcast? It's called You Do Hard um, Things or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't listened to it much. I have a whole story on sort of why, but it's well, okay. I haven't listened to it in a long time, <laughs> but I remember like during the pandemic, I listened to it a little bit. And what was funny was when they revealed that Abby was literally sitting in a closet doing the recording. (laughs) Like they were both in the same house, but I guess to make the recording better, they couldn't be in the same room. So I was like, well, if Abby Wambach is recording out of her closet, then I feel okay about this kind of rinky dink setup we've got. Oh wait, every time I, every time I, I've tuned into that podcast over the time and you know, I hear them working through, or I, I've heard Glennon Doyle working through some of her mm-hmm. own stuff. But, you know, I just, maybe I just don't have the same connections to the topics that they're and working on. Probably <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I do, and I'm just repressing <laughs> it all. That's right. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about that, Carla. That might be the other thing. Stop repressing so much. <laughs> Too Stop close to crying. home. Yeah, let's put our glasses on. We're going to get ready to hear um, one of our uh, classmates that I'm really excited to talk to, Jennifer Anderson, um, Peterson Anderson, um, as she was in high school, Peterson and then Anderson when she got married, and she married another Academy grad, so I'm excited to talk to her about that. Yeah, I am too. Um, What do you remember about Jennifer? So my most distinct memories of her are from when she and I and eight other Brave Souls did the cross-country skiing and snow cave camping outdoor experience trip 10th grade year. And it was really awesome, actually. Um, You know, 
I enjoyed it. We had great connections and we dug caves near the base of trees out of the snow and then slept in them like little igloos. Um, it was really cool. But Jennifer was on that trip with me. Um, I'd be curious to hear if she has as fond memories of that as I do. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that my recollection of her is that she was a fairly serious student, that she took her responsibilities, um, you know, very seriously. And there she oh. is. And here she is. <laughs> so as you can tell, we are not <laughs> professionals. We are complete amateurs. And that is just what you have to deal with when you're dealing with us. Um, but we have gotten really good at asking our first question, which is, <laughs> Jennifer, what have you been doing for the last 35 years? I'm telling you, um, so, so, Surprise as, I was earlier, as I was saying earlier, I, it feels like I've been doing everything for the last 35 years. But none of it all that um, compelling or exciting. So the kinds of things that I've done for the past 35 years, um, I've been married to Bob Anderson for 31 years. I've raised Amazing. a bunch of children. Some of them are biologically mine. Some of them are not. And I have gone to law school. I have watched a lot of soccer. I have served on the New Mexico Medical Board. I have served on, and I'm still serving on, um, a board of a national insurance company. I have managed a bunch of soccer teams. I, and then I practice law a little bit on the side. <laughs> That's kind of what I've been up to. Wow. That's amazing. It's really amazing. It's been fun. And, and the, and the thing that I am most grateful for, um, I think I'm easily bored. I've never been diagnosed with ADHD and I don't mean to minimize anybody's ADHD diagnosis, but I just, I, I am one of those people who I can't do one thing. Right. And, and I remember once when I was in law school, I was um, doing a summer program at a firm in Michigan that I eventually joined. And I happened to be really good at math. And so the tax department was like, you need to be a tax lawyer. And I was like, oh, no, you have misread this situation. I cannot be a tax lawyer because if I have to look at the tax code every day for the rest of my life, I will throw yeah. myself out of a window. Like, I cannot do that. And, and I think that that is really key to my personality. I, I have to be involved in a lot of stuff all the time. Otherwise, I'm, I'm left feeling like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do next? And to be honest with you, I'm sort of bumping up against that right now. I saw um, Kirk Kaiser yesterday. He picked up his brick. Oh, from, yeah. His brick of right? a brick. <laughs> the class of 89 bricks. I am now also a purveyor of bricks. Um, so I, I, I'm handing him this brick, and I'm like, did you bring any kids with you? He goes, oh, no, man. All, all our kids are grown, and we're now learning how to be empty nesters. And Bob and I just uh, two, three nights ago were having that conversation. We were like, uh, okay, what what are we going to do when the last, we now have a grandchild. She's actually in the house today, which is part of why I'm dressed the way that I am. And um, she's seven months old. And so we get to spend some time with her every week. But I'm, I'm looking at Bob and I'm like, we're going to have no soccer games to go to. I mean, we can watch them on TV with Kara playing at Cal Poly, but 
we have no soccer games to go to. We have no like homework to oversee what we're going to do with all of our time. Right. So I'm a little worried about what that looks like next year, but interesting. I can't. It's well, it's funny because we, we just, we, you know, obviously we're getting a chance to do all these, have these amazing conversations with our classmates. And I feel a little bit like it's a bit of a, a theme that's starting to emerge that we happen to have classmates who are really interested in a lot of things. They're super curious. They're doers. They're not likely to sit around and not pursue, you know, things that they're excited about, whether that's intellectually or actually physically. When your podcast is released, you'll have just heard Chris Icebox. He's our next uh, guest that we've spoken to. And similarly, I mean, just someone who is just insatiably curious, can't stand still. And I said the same thing, like, maybe it's my undiagnosed ADHD that can't, I can't focus long enough to do mm -hmm. one thing. Or maybe we're just all Renaissance people and we should just be thinking of ourselves that way. You know what? I like your <laughs> view on that better than mine. That's a, that's a good perspective. But, I mean, you know, Bob, in 31 years of marriage, Bob will say to me, can we just watch this movie? I'm like, no, no. While we watch this movie, I need to be folding laundry and making cookies. And I've got these things that I need to write. And and he just kind of looks at me like, seriously? But I, but after all these decades, like, it's predictable now, right? You know that that's what, that's what I'm going to do. Right. Talk. Oh my gosh. Have you been like that forever? Like in high school, were you doing 12 things at once too? Yes. And in fact, I remember an interesting conversation between my mother and Walter Buck, because one of the things, and I still do it to this day, um, I can have like the TV on or music on or other things going on. I can sit and write a brief on the sideline of a soccer field. And I've always had that ability. And weirdly, um, having, I know this sounds odd, but having something else going on mm -hmm, kind mm -hmm. of forces me to focus mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. on what I'm working on. So I remember this interesting conversation between my mother and Walter Buck, where my mother was like, I'm at my wit's end. She will sit there and do her homework with the TV on. This is terrible. And Mr. Buck sort of pulls out my grades and he's like, well, she has an A and everything. I mean, like what, how much better do you think right. it's going to get? If she's if she's not watching TV while she's doing yeah. homework, what, what's going to nope, happen? Nope, there's not a problem here. There's not a problem to solve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I've sort of always been that person who has to have multiple things going on at the same time. And I don't know if that's hardwired or if I picked it up somewhere along the way, but but it's been that way forever. It sounds like it really works for you. Oh, man. All right. God bless. I mean, because I wouldn't be able to do my job if it didn't work. I'd be that trouble. is true. You certainly wouldn't be able to do all the varied things that you are doing. So that's, yeah, it's, you're making it work for you. <laughs> yeah. But I'm blessed in that way. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So maybe because you've become such a, a person with so many different facets and so many different interests, maybe you can take us back a little bit to life right after the Academy and take us a little bit on, on the journey that you have taken to now and share with us some of the key inflection points that you've experienced along the way. Sure. Um, so I went to Santa Clara University after leaving the academy. Um, it was a did great you swim there? Were you a swimmer? I did not swim there. I, oh. You know what? I don't tell you, partway through, God bless Dave Barney, who, who really, and who I still see, who's still around. 
Um, and my husband has coached with him over the course of years before he retired a couple of years ago. Um, I really got to the point where I was done looking at a black line on the bottom of the pool. And that period for me came well before um, I graduated from high school where I was just like, I do not want to be doing this anymore. And he was really great about like, okay, um, come to practice, make it a social thing, whatever. I don't care. Just, just remain part of the program. So when I went out to Santa Clara, actually, um, I ended up doing some soccer coaching um, while I was out there coaching some of the youth leagues and, and whatnot while I was there. Um, but I went out to Santa Clara and I knew from really early on that what I wanted to do was go to law school. Um, and I also knew that there, I mean, there was pretty much, I, I could do anything from something really hard, like engineering to something like art. And I'm not saying art history isn't hard, but something, you know, totally on the opposite side of the spectrum, like art history, and it would still be totally acceptable to law schools. Right. So I really had an opportunity to kind of, um, pick my path. And so I decided to, um, go do political science and I had a, um, a French minor and, in part because I think that the school did such a good job setting us up to succeed in higher education, I was able to complete um, undergrad in, in about three years, which was, which was my version of, I'm like, hey, mom and dad, okay, I don't really have a scholarship to Santa Clara, but here's my scholarship. Here's my, here's my contribution, right? I'm going to go ahead and, um, and find a way to make the cost of college substantially lesser. And so immediately after college, Bob and I, Bob was finishing his graduate degree at Stanford. Um, I was finishing undergrad. Um, we got married We in uh, December of 92. I know. We got married in December of 92 and um, immediately moved to Michigan. And you may see Kara. Kara's walking through <laughs> here right now. Hello, Kara. And we moved to, we moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And what I knew is that I wanted to, um, to get residency down before applying to University of Michigan because the cost to attend was so much different. So I worked as a professional fundraiser for a year and a half, um, working in burn medicine type, you know, burn prevention, burn medicine. And so I did that for a year and a half. And um, while Bob was working off at Ford Motor Company, and we, um, you know, we, I, I applied to law school. I mean, I look at, at the hubris of this, right? I'm living in Ann Arbor. I'm like, of course, I'm just going to go to University of Michigan Law School. It's a top 10 law school. I didn't apply anyplace else. I was just like, yeah, what the heck? I'm going to get into University of Michigan. In later years, people are like, wait, you only applied to one law school? I'm like, yeah. And that must have been U of M because you got in. I'm like, yeah. They're like, what was your plan if you didn't get it? I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wasn't there. That's about. awesome. Isn't that weird? But it, good grief. What was I thinking? So um, anyway, I, I finished my years at um, University of Michigan. And through this time, we had a, um, an interesting situation with a child who is who we now claim as our own. We call her a bonus child. Um, she is 21 years younger than I am. So she's 31. Um, she is, um, she is our child and we adore her. Um, she had a really, uh, very difficult, 
um, situation and a situation where from time to time, sometimes she was living with us, sometimes she wasn't living with us. Sometimes her parents would be like, hey, we want to ship her off to you. Sometimes they were saying, you don't have any right to her. And they're right. We didn't legally have any right to her. The story, I, I won't tell all the details of the story because it's not my story to tell, but eventually, um, just to give you a, a sense for how troubled that situation was, um, her parents die in a murder-suicide. And mm. so this is, a, this is a child who we are so, so fortunate to have. But in those years before we had our own biological children, we were struggling with this issue of, you know, sometimes she's with us, sometimes she's not with us. And that was a really difficult thing to do um, and a really mm. difficult thing to manage, you know, sort of thinking about this child who we don't have constant contact with her. So we don't know what's going on in her world. And it, that was very hard, but God bless my husband. You know, we're, we're newly married. She's a year and a half old and he's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. We'll bring on, bring, bring it on. <laughs> you know? Wow. About that, that for a 25, 26 year old man to be like, all right, my new bride wants to bring in this extra kid. Yeah. Okay, fine. I mean, he's, he's phenomenal. And so, so we kind of, we had that. How long on. were you in limbo and with that situation? Year, like a decade, like a decade. Mm. Yeah. A really long time. And it was, it was just, it was, it was heart wrenching. And at the time it felt like mm -hmm. it would never end. Right. And you know, what we learn as older people is that time periods that look interminable, right? 10 years looks interminable right. when you're in your twenties, when you're in your fifties, you're like, yeah, time flies. Right. I know. But at the time it just, it, I mean, we, we had no way of knowing how it was going to end. Right. But um, at the time we were going through it all, but it, it, it seemed like it would never end. Well, I think at that age um, too, for her, you know how critical those early childhood years are. And even though 10 years isn't yeah. a long time between being 55 and 65, the difference between being one and 11 is, mm -hmm. is worlds apart. I mean, yeah. So much happens in the first decade of life. So I can imagine how, um, just how difficult that was to want to be supportive and be a good influence, mm -hmm. but, you know, having to respect the, the rights of the parents. So, yeah, it was, it was not, none of this, it wasn't easy, but looking back on it, it was mm -hmm. all worthwhile. Right. Um, so eventually then Tessa is born. We were still in Ann Arbor and, and we, we had had all kinds of infertility issues and whatnot. So we were so excited, right? We had Tessa and that was great. And then we got to the point where um, in about 2004, Bob's parents, who are a little bit older than my parents, were having some health issues. And we were, we were kind of getting to the point where it was getting really difficult to manage that from 1800 miles away. And so we decided that we would pick up and, and we were also cognizant of the fact that Tessa, who at the time was three, we were like, gosh, once she actually gets into school, right, that's going to be a really difficult time to kind of transport her. And we don't want to have to make a decision on an emergent basis because something really right. terrible has happened. 
So we, we decided to pick up and um, come to Albuquerque and um, Bob was working with a small engineering firm and I was working with Jessica's dad and Mark's yeah. dad and Jenny and Josh Ramos' mom um, over at Modral. And so I, we, we relocated here in 2004 um, and then in 2006, um, sweet Miss Kara was born. We didn't know that we could have another child and that kid fought her way onto the planet. And here she is, proof positive. She just walked by us a minute ago. Um, and so we've, we have been very, very fortunate um, in all respects in terms of those, those you know, sort of pivotal moments um, or inflection points, as you said, you know, making decisions about how, you know, when to move and how to move and, um, and all of that. And, and it, it really has worked out well for us. We are very blessed. So what was it like for you to come back to Albuquerque at that time? I mean, it sounds like your career had also been rooted in Michigan to some degree. So what was that like yeah. career-wise and um, personally for you? Yeah, and do you have to retake the? Do you have to get certified? Take the bar exam. Take the bar exam again. Okay, yeah. Okay. That's I pain. did, and I, and and so so um, uh, I I will tell you that um, in Michigan um, my friends were making a lot of fun of me. Like when I decided to move, and they were doing my going away party. They put up a map and it was like 36 states that Jennifer could move to and not have to take the bar exam. <laughs> she has to oh, choose one really? of those 36. Right? She's going she's gonna to go and have to take the bar exam. And I'm, I'm, um, it was interesting because constitutional law had changed um, as a result of the 2000 election, right? So um, even things that you would think would be really static had changed from when I took the bar exam the first time to when I took it um, the second time. Things like water law in Michigan, there's all kinds of water. We don't have to worry about laws in Michigan about water. In New Mexico, we do. So, it, it, you know, and tribal lands and, you know, all kinds. So it was an odd experience studying for the bar and um, with a three-year-old <laughs> and practicing law full time while trying to stay for the bar. But um, so, so I, I did that and I realized that practicing law in New Mexico, even though I had grown up here, New Mexico is an odd place to practice law. And there's still, even this morning, I was having a phone conversation with somebody um, who's from New Jersey. And he's like, this is so weird. I don't know. Well, nobody else in the country does it this way. And I'm like, yep, welcome to New Mexico. <laughs> we pride ourselves. I mean, a little bit different from everybody else. Huh. Um, and so even though I had grown up here and I knew a lot of people here professionally, it was very, it was, it was a transition. Um, Socially and on a personal level, it was fantastic because my brother and his wife, and they then had one daughter, um, they now have a, a son as well. They were here. My parents were here. Bob's parents were here. And we had a lot of friends who were still here. And so it was that piece of it was was really heartwarming and, and something to just sort of rush right into. It was great. Cool. Yeah. Gosh, studying. I'm I'm curious. Can, can I ask a question which we didn't cover, but I'm I was curious about it from the very get go, which is, uh, you obviously met Bob at the academy. Were you yeah. dating when he went away to school? I, I don't remember yeah. this. 
And then you've just so, been together ever since? Yeah. <laughs> I so should know the story, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, we started dating um while I while I was in high school. So we both over the summers, we both were swim coaches and lifeguards mm. and swim teachers and whatnot. So like um Gail Feller, you know, her um Frank Peloso, Josh Dogan, um, the Kelleher twins, you know, all of us were part of that crowd who were who were doing that work over the summers. So um in the very beginning, Jennifer Anderson or Jennifer Peterson had no interest at all in Bob Anderson. And in fact, was downright uncivil to Bob Anderson. And he kind of earned some of that, to be honest. And so, so Bob um, started asking me out in the context of um, the summer program. And he had already graduated from the academy. We had overlapped by a year. He's, he's class of 86. And... I kept saying no, like, no. And I would find every reason to not be in the guard office when he was in the guard office. Why? Because I was an idiot and I was, you know, a 16, 17 year old girl, whatever. So eventually my younger brother, who I adore and his friends would complain to me, Bob Anderson, who is a swim coach of that age group is being mean to us because you won't go out on a date with them. And so I'm like, yeah, I've turned him down 10 times. And the, and the kids were like, the next time he asks, will you go? And I'm like, Okay. So he asked and I had to go. Um, and then I realized that I'd been an idiot all that time because Bobby Anderson is amazing. So, um, yeah, we continued to date while I was in high school and he was out at Stanford and my parents, you know, used that from time to time, things like senoritas. I didn't want to do senoritas. I'm like flower decorate or arranging, whatever. I don't want to do any of this. They're like, we'll bring Bob Anderson back to go to the dance if you do this. <laughs> it was, that was the kind of relationship that um, that I had with my parents at that time over those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, Bob and I dated all the way through the rest of high school for me. And then I went out to Northern California to go to school um, and finished my undergrad while he finished um, his graduate degree at Stanford. Um, and then we got married and took off and moved to Michigan. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's, yeah, that is really amazing. <laughs> and I have kids that age now. I mean, at least two of them mm -hmm. are sort of in that, in that age range. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you might marry the kid that you're dating right now. No, that can't be right. I mean, he's lucky. <laughs> Not good. But, it, but it's just so hard yeah. to think about that in terms right. of, right? Oh my gosh. So, mm -hmm. From the, when you got married 31 years ago to where you are now, how are you two the same and how are you different? Um, how are we the same? Um, I mean, I, I would say that we, um, we still make a phenomenal team. I, I couldn't do what I do um, without Bob. And he is a great parent. And, and having said that, let me say... I have a really amazing spouse who happens to be a man. And we all know that in this world, notwithstanding the fact that you can have a great male spouse, you, you end up doing most of the work with the kids. <laughs> He'll tell you that, right? I mean, that part has been a constant. It's never changed. But we've always been really good partners in getting things done the way that we need to get them done. 
What I would say has changed over time. I mean, for heaven's sakes, by this time, we've now been parenting for like 30 years. And what's changed over time is that, you know, in those times where we didn't have any kids at home, we would do everything together. We'd do the groceries together. We'd build a deck together. We would plant trees together. We would, and now it's like, hey, will I see you later tonight? Okay, yeah, you'll be back later. I mean, it, it is because there's so much activity and so much going on with these girls, it really, over time, has become a divide and conquer kind mm. of project as opposed to a we're together all mm. the time kind of project. And I think if we, it, you know, looking forward over the next few years, we may be kind of cycling back into this phase where we're going to have more time to spend together. And I look forward to it, but I'm also a little afraid because it's so different from where we've been yeah. for decades. Yeah, that's a, that'll be a big change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Huge change. <laughs> and not in a bad way, but change is change, right? Change is scary. Right. Yeah. Looking back over the last 35 years, you know, what have you done in your life, maybe outside of work and kids that's been fulfilling for you? Or, you know, what's been surprising to you that, um, that maybe you weren't expecting? Uh, those are two different questions, really. But, you know, it's a little bit about you and your, your sort of interests as, a, as an individual. And what has, where has that possibly taken you in surprising ways? So I know that you said that I should separate from my professional life. It's, it's hard to do given this answer. And that right. is um, education. I mean, I've always understood the value of education. Um, but now as somebody who, who spends a lot of my time, well, let me back up. Like what, what happened was for a long time, I was doing all kinds of different legal work because again, I'm that person. I want to be learning something new all the time. I don't want to practice one area of law. So I had a very broad practice base. And what happened as a result of that was that I ended up being hired by a number, even while I was in Michigan, hired by educational institutions who are like, well, we have broad based issues. Like we have employment issues. We have people who come on campus who slip and fall. We have student discipline issues. We have regulatory issues. We have right all of this stuff that I was doing anyway, they, they would be like, Hey, you look mm -hmm. like a good match. Let's do, um, come in and be our legal counsel and advise us on all of these different areas. And I think, um, I, I have been surprised at how much I have bought into um, the importance of education. And, and not that I, again, not that I didn't think it was important, but if you ask 20 year old Jennifer about how education can translate into better outcomes societally on an individual level, right? You know, the answer that I would have given then would be much different than the answer that I give now. And part of that is fueled by experience, right? Because you get to watch some of those amazing outcomes and changes. Mm -hmm. um, but I am, I, I continue to be um, surprised by how ensconced I have become um, in education in New Mexico. Mm. And of course, now my husband who was, so Bob went to school, um, was an engineer for a long time, sold his company. And I looked at him and I said, what do you want to do? 
And he goes, I'm going to teach school. I'm like, what? What? I mean, I kind of thought I was going to hear, I'm going to go work at Sandia National Labs. Or I'm going to, I mean, not that I cared. I, I wanted him to do whatever, want, what he wanted to do to make himself happy. Um, and it was super impressive to me that that man sort of looked at himself and said, I want to go work with kids and mm. teach them engineering and, and swimming and all the various things he does on campus. Um, and so, so we very much are a pro education family. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you said he's at, he's at the Academy, right? And what is yeah, the role there now? You said he's at a, yeah. So he's a Dean of Students um, in the 1012 division. Um, it is hard to be an Anderson kid at the Academy um, with your mom as general counsel and your yeah. dad as Dean of Students. Um, no one wants yeah. to get it. No one so, wants to do anything bad around you. Your kids are. No, or around kids. Right. That's what I mean. Tessa. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can be a challenge, I think, for them. They're, they've handled it with all kinds of grace <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and good humor. And, but Bob, so Bob had been teaching um, physics and math. And at some point, the school said, what we really need, we have so many kids who are interested in engineering and, and going off to programs that are mm -hmm. really engineering centric. And, mm -hmm. and so we want to do like an engineering class. And Bob's like, okay. So a couple of years ago, he developed an engineering class. Um, and I recognize what else are people going to say to me, but these kids come up to me and they're like, Mrs. Anderson, Mr. Anderson is like the best teacher ever. This is like the best course I've ever had. Oh, that's and so cool. It is cool because I, and I think he's, he's super happy, you know, helping them to find their passion and, and helping them to understand, yeah, engineering can be hard, mm -hmm. but you can do it, right? You're smart enough to do this. I'm teaching you what they're going to teach you in college in an engineering class. You can do this and it makes you happy. Right. And so, um, yeah, so that, that has been, that has been an interesting development over time too. That he's <laughs> that he has become an administrator and a, and a, um, and a teacher at a school that I've been like working for, for many more years than he's been. That is you just I can't know. get away. You can't get away from the academy. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's deep in it's deep in our blood, man. Yeah. And, and, and even thinking about soccer pro, I have been part of the varsity, the girls' varsity soccer program for nine years. I've been managing that program. And I keep saying to people, somebody really is gonna wanna figure out what I know, right? And take all of this stuff and 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 everybody's like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. And I'm like, I'm really not going to be here. Right. <laughs> My, really? my last kid will be in California playing soccer. So I will really not be here next year. Um, mm -hmm. But even that feels weird. Like what? I'm not going to be at soccer games next year. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. You've got a big yeah. shift coming up. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. We're going and doing her official visit this weekend. So she's committed to play at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. And great place. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. God, did that kid get it right? Um, but from, from the standpoint that like, it feels like such a safe community and the soccer program is amazing and the school is amazing and it's the right size for her. It's a little hard to get to from Albuquerque, yeah. <laughs> but, but otherwise it's, it is, it's truly a phenomenal, um, place, but we're going to go do that official visit this weekend. 
Awesome. Crazy. Well, if you end up ever flying into San Jose and driving, let me know. I will because I have done, I've flown into LAX and driven and it's the same distance from San Jose. Yeah. Um, So I will let you know if I'm ever back up in the area. Um, When you think a little bit about the future and about this, um, this empty nest, um, what, what are you imagining for the next 10 years? What do you think you and Bob will be doing over the next 10 years, either as a couple or, you know, you individually. Yeah. Um, so again, Bob and I had a little bit of a conversation about that um, the other day. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I am betting that a number of our classmates are saying to you, yes, I want to do world travel and, and whatnot. And and Bob and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah, we don't really want to do world travel. I mean, some of it, there are some places we want to go, but I don't see that being a major feature of what we do over the course of the next 10 years. Um, we've talked about things like, um, hey, there are states even in the U.S. that we haven't seen. Let's go, let's go hike in some spaces, right, that we haven't had the opportunity to experience before. Um, I think, you know, given the ages of these kids, Right. I have a seven month old Mm. granddaughter downstairs right now with my 16 year old daughter. Um, And Tessa has is now in graduate school. She is working on her farm D and her significant other looks like he's going to go to UNM medical school here in the next few years. So my guess is that we'll sort of continue to um, spend time with our now emerging adult children, right? And mm-hmm. and getting the opportunity to spend time with their children. I mean, I that's my guess of of how a big chunk of the next 10 years will will draw out in part because our kids are just so darn spaced out in age. That's yeah, that's insane. So what's it like to be a grandparent? You might be the first person we've talked to who has a grandchild. <laughs> It and is, why is this child with you? <laughs> well, today, so yesterday and today, um, she's with us because her daycare is closed. Although I will tell okay. you on most Thursdays, so Thursday um, with Team Anderson usually looks like um, everybody off at school, um, except, so Bob will be at school, Carol will be at school, Tessa's at the pharmacy school, and my mother who's in her eighties with her oxygen, whole nine yards will come here and I will have sweet Murphy here. So I have the opportunity. I mean, talk about being blessed, right? Here I am. I've got a job that I can do from home on whatever days I want to do it from home for the most part. Um, And I have got my 80 some year old mother and my seven month old granddaughter in the same household for a day, every week. It is, it is challenging. I mean, I won't lie. There are some moments where like, hey, let's go to Hobby Lobby or Michael's or whatever. They'll get some idea if they need craft supplies or, and moving a seven month old and an 80 year old on auction. It's hard people. It is hard. And we are only getting older. Right. And so, so it takes a lot out of me. There are times when I'm like, this is exhausting, but how blessed am I? to be able to, to watch my mother interact with my seven month old granddaughter. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. That's really cool. So being a grandparent 
is extremely rewarding. It's extremely, it makes you tired. It is not as easy to carry a bucket car seat in your 50s as it is in your 30s. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a, a grandmother name that's Gigi. not? Gigi. Gigi. Okay. Gigi. What about Bob? I like it. So it's interesting because Bob did not want to be, Bob, Bob did not have, and okay, let me back up and say this. When, when Tessa was born, I distinctly remember a very emotionally charged conversation between Bob's parents and my parents in my family room in Ann Arbor, Michigan, about what Tessa was going to call them. And they were negotiating who was going to be called what and whatever. Tessa, she starts talking when she's about 10 months old or whatever, and she just names them. <laughs> she just names them. And those names stuck for everybody. Even the one kid who's older, Stephanie, calls my parents Maga and Popo because Tessa named them Maga and Popo. So <laughs> Stephanie and Phil were sort of like, well, what do you want to be called? And I'm like, I don't. I mean, whatever she's going to call me. That's what, that's what I'm going to be called. And so right now they call me Gigi. Um, and I, great. And if she calls me Gigi, great. And if she calls me something else, I'm going to, as gracefully as I can, move into whatever that something else is. Bob really was struggling, I think, a little bit with the, we're grandparents. <laughs> we saw it coming. I mean, it wasn't like they've been married five years and she's 31. And like, it was clear it was going to happen, but we hadn't really made our peace with it. So he goes by Bobby Wasabi. Who knows what that's going to turn into? I don't know. But so Bobby Wasabi and Gigi, those are our names. All right. I love it. I love it's it. crazy town. Well, the, um, maybe we should take a little trip back in time. Yeah, okay. let's do it. Since, since we've gone forward, let's do a little time travel <laughs> and go backward. Um, and I don't know, Jessica, you want to start by start start us off? Sure, I will kick us off. Okay. Just so you guys know, and I have not had the opportunity to listen to a bunch of episodes. I Last night before I went to bed, I'm listening. I have an earbud in. Bob and I are both in bed. He's asleep. I'm listening to Susan's, and I get to this. Uh, you said something about a lightning round. Susan's the only one that I've listened to. And I'm like, oh, God, I got to go to bed now because it's like 1130 at night. So I take out my earbud. I'm like, I'll figure this out in the morning. And then... I didn't because I wrote all morning, so I'm a little stressed out about what you're going to ask. That you should. That's good. <laughs> I'm so glad. Well, we're going to have you do a little reflection back before the lightning round, so this will warm you yeah. up. You, you okay. War this will warm you up a little bit. Okay. But all right. So, wait. so to to go to reflect on yourself as a high school student when you think about Jennifer. 1985 to 1989 how would you how do you remember yourself how do you describe yourself back then um i i think as um kind of as a little mini adult i think i was very <laughs> concerned i really i mean i i had this overdeveloped sense of responsibility in some ways yes yeah, that is exactly the way I remember you. Yeah, I was very <laughs> much the mother hen. So, like, if anybody, and, and this is right, this is pre cell phone days, but I think I was the person who, if if somebody was like, 
oh crap, I have a serious problem and I can't get myself home or whatever, you call me and know I'm not drunk and I can come get you and fix it, right? Mm -hmm. So so I think I very much was a mother hen then. I I think I am now too for what, I mean, I think that part is hardwired. Um, But I I remember myself being very, um, not so much into the drama of some of the things that were going on because drama didn't really drama exhausts me. And, and that has been true my entire life. Mm. Um, and not that we had tons and tons of drama, but where I saw drama, I'd be like, and eh, now I'm going to go this. I mean, I just don't have any interest in that. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I remember myself being kind of a nurturer. Um, and I think that just is who I am. And who were your closest friends in high school? I'm trying to remember. So it's interesting because I didn't, I had lots of different groups of friends that were sort of mm-hmm. based in different activities. So Varie and Kristen and I were always really close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, but I had a lot of friends outside my class. So mm-hmm. like, because Bob and I were dating, I had friends in the class of 86. I had friends in the class of 87 because of swimming and lifeguarding and all of that. Um, over the summers, again, Peter, Daniel, Josh, Dogan from our class, we all spent a lot of time together. Um, I was also playing soccer outside of, you know, I was playing club soccer. I was swimming all the time. So I had friends in those groups. Um, and so I did not tend to, um, kind of Lisa Levy from, um, uh, I guess she was a class younger than we were. Mm-hmm. Um, I would sometimes spend time with her. So, so I kind of took this approach of, I just have lots of different friends, lots of friends at El Dorado who I would hang out with, but not anybody who I'd hang out with sort of exclusively, except, you know, Bob. <laughs> spent a lot of time with Bob. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> you liked him. Well, once you, 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 you realized. Yeah. Once, once right. I caught on to the fact that he was a really excellent human being and I adore him, then I was like, oh yeah, no, this sounds like I'll hang out with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first question that we ask in the lightning round is kind of a giveaway for you. Unless you can come up with a surprise answer that we're not even, it's not on our radar. And the question Pre-ball. is, who was your high school crush? Uh, who was my high school crush? Well, I mean, I started dating Bob in our junior year. So I like going back and thinking about, um, who would my high school crush be? I don't, I don't know because everything is gone pre-Bob. I'll have to keep thinking on that. (laughs) I mean, you, you did marry your high school sweethearts. Exactly. I I feel like that's a perfectly acceptable answer. I think that might have to be my answer for a number of reasons, right? But, but, but honestly, as I sit here and think about it, I don't know who I would name. I mean, somebody who I spent a lot of time with was Frank Ploso. And I think um, in later years, this is really funny, um, his dad ends up doing surgery on me. Really lovely practitioner, lovely family. I spent a lot of time with them after Frank went off to college because they were then empty nesters and his mom, Sheila, and I would spend some time together and whatever, just because we've been really good friends all along. And his dad said something uh, when I came in, oh, I remember you, you're the girl who married the other guy. And I was like, what? What? (laughs) 
So I don't know what everybody else thought was going on there. <laughs> Frank and I were just good friends, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe Frank, but um, I didn't really have a crush on Frank, and I don't think he had one on me either. Hmm. All right. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Nobody will ever know. At least one. At least one other classmate has had a <laughs> had a crush on Frank. So. Oh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, he was just a really nice guy. Yeah. All right. Question number two. Munch pudding or veal birds? And Disgust. So here's the funny thing. I've heard a lot about veal birds. I don't think I ever experienced veal birds. And, and so I would have to say munch pudding in that circumstance. And also I would say I am much more of a sugar-oriented person than anything else. So I'd have to say yeah. if you put both of them side by side, I'm very sure I'd go for the munch pudding. Yeah. Was there another Loy Lagor, um, you know, dish that you really looked forward to when you entered the, the cafeteria, the dining, the dining hall, Excuse the dining me. Can't hall, believe this. still called the dining hall. And um, no, I can't say that I, you know, in general, I remember things like being a waiter or being a student table head or being a, I mean, I remember things like that, but the food does not stand out to me. Isn't that weird? No, I mean, because no. I hear we have a cookbook, don't we? Or something. There's like a cookbook. Like There this, is a cookbook. Yes. It is so kind of iconic for those of us who, who lived in New Mexico during that time. And yet I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Munch pudding. I, that, I, that would be the one thing I would have been able to name. I remember eating chicken patties as well and yeah. enjoying them. Sure. Maybe maybe the chicken patty took over when the veal bird was retired. Maybe. <laughs> that could be. I My dad ended up being stationed in the Pentagon eighth grade year. Um, and so I deferred entrance for a year until ninth grade. Oh, and okay. so so my recollection, and I, and I, it may have been Mark Tafoya. Somebody somewhere along the way was like, yeah, I think billboards went out of existence before you got there. Oh, so it may have been that yeah. year. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. Okay. Question three. What was your signature style or clothing brand? <laughs> um, uh, I think my parents would probably say that I spent a bunch of money at the limited. Um, mm-hmm. But truthfully, I spent a bunch of my time in like a swimsuit with sweatpants or a swimsuit with <laughs> um, and or crew neck um, sweatshirts. I really liked crew neck sweatshirts back then. Um, yep. And so I, I would say that my signature look was um, sort of whatever I was wearing at that moment that probably wasn't appropriate for the next activity. I was still wearing it anyway. Because that was the case. You were a woman before your time. You were like the active wear. This was pre- pre- predecessor of active wear. Why didn't anybody ask me back then? Like I have all the answers to, to active wear. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question number four. What car did you drive in high school and how did it meet its demise? Um, the car that I drove in high school was a silver Volkswagen rabbit that was, that had a standard transmission because my father was very insistent on, you must know how to drive a standard vehicle. 
Um, and thank God he did. I'm so grateful for that. Um, how did it meet its demise? As far as I'm aware, it was eventually sold because I had a younger brother. So when I went off to college, I went off to college without a car, um, at least for the first few years, and that car became John's. And so I think eventually when John went off to college, they, they sold that car is my, mm. is my recollection. You know, everyone drove a stick shift. I, I, I drove a stick shift. Did you drive a stick shift? I did, yes. And actually, my next door neighbors here bought a stick shift for their child because they thought it would keep them from texting and driving. Okay, that is the best justification I've heard. I um, So Bob, Bob is big into cars, having been a, a car engineer. And so he had a very um, sporty car, still does, but um, it's now a, a different car. And the the car that he had had a manual transmission in it and the kids all fought me every single all three of them i don't want to learn how to drive that car i don't want to learn how to drive a stick shift and i'd be like have you ever seen like the movie halloween like if there's some guy chasing you with an axe and the only car that's there and available is a standard transmission don't you want to know how to get in the car and drive away make that dramatic exit they look at me and they'd be like oh my god but eventually they all, yeah, they all learned, but I didn't, I never, and it seems to me that it's hard to acquire cars that are standard transmission now. Yeah. It's hard to find them now. Yeah. Which I think is the exact opposite of when we were kids. Um, mm -hmm. But in any event, so I haven't tried to acquire such vehicles for my kids, but I have made them learn how to drive such vehicles. <laughs> okay. Um, Question number five, what song or band would be on the soundtrack of your high school experience? Oh God. Well, the music I listen to now is so different from the music we listened to then. Um, but I would say that maybe um, Van Halen Jump would be on there. Uh, or white snake here i go again like, that kind of music <laughs> right because that was the music i'm serious that was the music that we were like when we were in the lifeguard office or when we were whatever that's the music i remember listening to and that's music i remember listening to like driving to school to now and um, i am full country now and and i see that <laughs> the fun, i know you wouldn't guess that wow bob is kind of 80s rock still um and but it was it was a point where tessa was it was right about the time we moved out here 
And I was, I, I can't even remember what song I was listening to. But anyway, I was listening to the same kind of like pop music that I had always listened to. And all of a sudden I hear my three-year-old saying something that was wholly inappropriate in the backseat of the car singing along. And I was like, yeah, if you do that around your grandparents, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> I think I need to go find something that is more sort of child appropriate. So I settled on two things, Santana. I love Santana. And Tess is a big Santana fan as a result of playing a lot of Santana. And then country music, which was a little bit friendlier at the time in terms of the lyrics, right? In terms of what my child might be singing. And since then I have, I have gone full, full country. I mean, we go and, and my children are, we go to concerts and whatnot. Um, and we so sort fun. of talk about the issues with country music. There are some, um, and, but we, we, you know, we have fully embraced that. <laughs> I listen to a lot of country music living in Tulsa and, and in the, in the nineties. And of course, Jessica is in Texas. So I'm sure it, it does seep into her, her brain every once in a while. <laughs> she, she says no, she says no, she denies it. I really, I, I put up a, a bound, a bubble around myself, I suppose. <laughs> I went to hear the Foo Fighters last night. Oh, that was fun. Amazing. Yeah, I still enjoy show. that type of music. And it's funny because now I'm at a point where maybe I could you know, sort of transition over again. Um, although Murphy's driving around with me. Murphy June is the granddaughter. She's driving around with me all the time. So I don't know. Um, I probably will just stick with country. I'll stick with what I know. <laughs> <laughs> question, question number six. I'll be really curious to hear this one. What high school teacher had the greatest impact on you? Oh, you know, that's, that is interesting. There are so many I can point to. Um, I would say for on a personal level, probably Dave Barney, who was mm. really a coach for me at that time, but started coaching me when I was about five and, and took me through. I mean, I think you guys know we had um, a situation where John and I had a sibling who died at age three. Um, and mm. he was kind of instrumental in helping um, my family go helping the kids go through that being an, addis, an additional trusted adult to whom mm. we could speak about no, some of those I things. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How old were you when your sister died? Uh, I was nine. I was just about to turn mm. nine. Oh, that mm. is Eight or nine. She had, she was born with a heart defect. Um, mm. and, mm -hmm. um, at age three and you know, I'll tell you the hardest year of parenting for me, was the year that Tessa was three. Um, and it was because I was, I was reflecting on, I, you know, I say all the time, I can't imagine losing a child. I lived, I lived through a situation where I watched my parents go through it and God bless them. They stayed married, which I think is a really difficult thing to do in those circumstances. Not that either one of them had anything to do with it. I mean, this was a genetic heart defect in this child. But, but I lived it and I still can't imagine going through it as a parent. And so when Tessa was three, I just remember thinking, if something happens to this child, just go ahead and shoot me because I don't, I, I mm -hmm. don't know how I would get through to the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and not that I didn't feel that way about the other two. It's just that first time you go through it, you're like, 
oh my God, this would be terrible. I mean, terrible tragedy at any age to lose a child, but it really, for whatever reason, um, came home for me there. So D Dave was a really great resource to our family and was really supportive of us over, over an extended period of time. Um, I can tell you Alan Vraspier um, is responsible for my good mm -hmm. score on the LSAT, right? His logic class. And yeah. He's still there, by the way. I still see him is every he? once in a while. He is. And, and given my role at the academy, it's really funny to have turned from somebody who was a student there. I mean, for a number of years, I worked with Don Smith after the fact. He would call me and we'd be doing legal stuff. And, and, and that's weird. <laughs> Transition yeah, that's to super me. Weird. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. Alan Braspear, Barbara Reback. I mean, I remember her classes, all of us who were doing the French classes. Mm -hmm. it, we, I mean, she, she was a phenomenal teacher. She had her moments. She was a little spirited at times, but she's a phenomenal teacher. <laughs> she was, yeah, she's been mentioned actually. And same with um, Dr. Braspear. That was yeah. me. I think I was the one who mentioned him as someone who helped me yeah. um, really uh, make my way through math, which was not my best subject, but I really liked him. Is he still coaching cross country? <laughs> he is. He is. And I will see him out there from time to time because I'll, Karen, I will go out to the track early in the morning um, some days and, and he's out there with the cross country runners and I'll see him out there. I mean, just at school every once in a while, I get to do things sometimes. This will horrify everybody. So one of my jobs is sometimes I get to go talk to like the 10, 12 division about the risks of sexting, right? My poor kids and nieces and nephews and whatnot sitting, husband <laughs> sitting in the audience for this lovely discussion. Um, but, there, but there are times when I'm doing these presentations and whatnot, and I can see Dr. Braspear just sitting there looking at me from <laughs> the second row or whatever. It's just, yeah, it's interesting. These guys, they, they made such an impression um, over time and have been, gosh, look at the amount of time they've been teaching at this That's institution and working their magic with kids. It is, mm -hmm. it's really admirable. It is. Okay. Um, what was your favorite hangout spot? Could be on campus or off campus. You know, on campus i remember um hanging out frequently with susan stokum in the um snack bar area in yeah. in sims um and i'm trying to remember where else on campus i would have been hanging out sometimes in the library same thing susan be talking about luke longley she loved luke longley and back in the in the day um, is sitting in the in the library, um, which is now admin offices. And um, off campus, I honestly, folks, I spent so much of my time. I mean, certainly at High Point during the summers when I was lifeguarding and whatnot, I was there all the time. But otherwise, I felt like I was constantly in motion. I was going to swim practice or soccer practice, and seasons overlapped, and babysitting jobs, and this and that. So I don't, I don't feel like I have just one out-of-campus hangout spot. All right. Well, do you have a high school regret? And if so, would you like to tell us what it was or what it is? <laughs> um, you know, there was one um, incident over the course of high school that I, I 
felt at the time really had damaged my relationship with my classmates. And I, um, and, and I'll tell you, it taught me a lot about myself. It taught me a lot about integrity. It taught me a lot about, frankly, practicing law and conflict resolution. Um, but the event was, I, don't know, I think we went up to Taos for a ski trip. And um, there were a lot of us on that trip. I can't remember how many went. And they rented out a whole bunch of um, condos for this ski trip. And my parents were chaperones. I think Laurel's parents, Tim's parents. I don't remember who all, there were a lot of parents who were there as chaperones. And our classmates, um, there was a big party. It will not surprise you to know that there was a big party. And this big party culminated in lots of alcohol related trash, you know, bottles, beer cans, whatever. And, um, you know what, we are all such smart, talented, capable human beings now, but I will tell you as drunk 16 year olds, I don't think we were because somebody decided that what they were going to do is try and put all these in these trash compactors or something that were in the, in the condos. One of the condo trash compactors ends up getting kind of destroyed and not functional. So somebody then decides what we're going to do is we're going to go bury all this stuff in a snowbank or try <laughs> these condos. Anyway, it won't surprise you to know that the cleaning crew picked up on that and then went and talked to the parents. And my parents eventually pull me aside and say, what is going on? Like what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. And it was true. I didn't know. I wasn't there. Didn't have anything to do with it. I'm like, I have no idea. So the parents have their little powwow, I guess, whatever. Well, eventually a bunch of our classmates were like, Hey, we think that you, we saw you talking to your mom at lunch and we think you went and told her about this drinking thing or whatever. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you other than I didn't inform them of anything. <laughs> you were knew. not the informant. <laughs> I was not the informant, but I kind of, I just let that, I denied it. And then I just let it sit there. And, and, and you know, what's interesting being somebody who does civil defense work, I found that that was a great insight into human nature. Instead of saying, oops, we screwed up. We did something we weren't supposed to be doing. And then we got caught. And instead of taking responsibility for that, we're going to be like, oh my God, we wouldn't have gotten caught but for somebody Ooh. going and telling mm -hmm. somebody that we had done this. And I'll tell you, that's not confined to 16 or 17 year olds. <laughs> right. That is kind yeah. of part of human nature. And it, and it really has, I think, helped me um, understand situations as a lawyer better um, mm -hmm. than I might have otherwise. But my regret is that I didn't, I, I didn't provide any further explanation. I think when I was 17, I didn't feel like I needed to. I'm like, nope, not me. Mm -hmm. Don't know what you're talking about. And I'm out. And I think that damaged my relationship with some people in a way mm -hmm. that I wish it hadn't. Um, and so if I have a regret, I regret that. I don't fully take responsibility for how we got there because it, that wasn't me, but I take responsibility for the fact that I didn't do anything to try and um, explain or provide more detail that, that might have bridged that gap a little bit. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's funny. I can only imagine how many clues there were 
that something <laughs> happened. Yeah, like, like you, uh, you, even if you had told them, it's like they would have been caught anyhow. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, uh, do you think you're that clever or that sneaky? No, there's well, like, it smells like beer. It probably smells like puke. The yeah. trash compactor's broken. There's, I mean, what? Yeah. And broken oh, for a bunch of cans stuffed in it. So, so the, so the, you know, the, the housekeeping staff knows what the deal is, right? Yeah. right there are a yeah. bunch of kids and there are adults in another condo, yeah. and, you know, whatever. And so anyway, and I just remember Mr. Smith was super pissed. Dawn was in there. We're all in Garden Hire Hall and he's like, and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it, it, it's, it's one of those things, right? As parents now, we look at that, we're like, of all the idiotic things. Like, we're not that good that we could have hidden the evidence. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> uh, but whatever. All right. If you could go back in time and tell your high school self something about the future, what would it be? Um... I think it would be, it would be, you don't have nearly as much control over the situation as you think you do. <laughs> so right? I, mean, I, I, I do think, and I, and I think one of the things that was really difficult for me um, and for Bob, but mostly for me, because it felt like it was my issue was infertility. I think, I think I went through this phase where you, you know, and especially coming through a school like the Academy where they teach you and rightly so anything's possible. Just put your mind to it. Right. You can do anything. Mm -hmm. And then when you run up against these things, like, you know, all your friends are planning, well, I'm going to have my baby in October of next year. And so I'm going to start getting pregnant next, next month. Right. And mm -hmm. you start to realize, God, it doesn't work like that for everybody. And it's not mm -hmm. just that, right. It's other human beings that you interact with. There are all kinds of situations mm -hmm. that, over the course of time, you realize, gosh, I don't have nearly as much control <laughs> over mm -hmm. circumstances and my environment and what I want to see happen as I thought I did. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. if I were able to go back and tell 15, 16, 17-year-old Jennifer that, it would have saved me a lot of frustration. Over the course mm -hmm. of time, I would have just recognized it as, okay, this is an obstacle. Go with the flow. Then something is going to change over time. But in those mm -hmm. moments, you don't really, at least I didn't, I won't generalize this to everybody. I didn't really see it that way. And yeah. it, it was very much a, you know, I have to solve this problem. And sometimes there's mm -hmm. not a problem to be solved. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. 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 And I mean, the frustration of that in and of itself, I mean, I have a, a former student who actually did a hilarious um, uh, YouTube uh, show called "Does This Baby Make Me Look Fat?" on her um, on her attempts to get pregnant, and it's very funny, but it's like also very hard and painful. And so, you know, it was so. yeah. I mean, that was just a dreadful. That was a dreadful yeah. experience in part because I was so happy for my friends who were having babies, but it was mm -hmm. also soul crushing sometimes. Or mm -hmm. I. I I'd be out at the grocery store and there's a pregnant, you know, clearly teenager. And he'd be like, well, Why? where is the justice in this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, you are so, you, yeah. Yeah. I'm you, just so you were lucky. blessed with lots of, with two children of your own and then the bonus as well. So. And then the bonus child. And you know what? I wouldn't, looking back on it now, I wouldn't have it any other way. Right. If I didn't 
experience yeah. all of those things, I wouldn't be where I am now and I wouldn't have the little humans who are not so little. They're both over six feet tall and Stephanie is, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't have those precious, precious beings in my life. Um, and so I'm so lucky, but when you're going through it, you don't feel very lucky. No. Not in that no. moment. No. And it's one of those well, he, things that having no control is just, uh, yeah. so tough. So yeah. tough. Yeah. No. So that would have been, I would have, I would have saved myself or tried to save myself some of that hassle <laughs> or stress yeah. or frustration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the last question, question number 10, it's probably the only one that maybe listening ahead of time would have helped you, but you're just going to have to improv here. And that is, um, what would be the title of your high school memoir? Oh my God. Um, chaos in the tumbleweeds, the early years. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> part that's one. what comes to mind. It all, yeah. It all feels very, and, and part of that is just, I'm still here, right? I'm still in New Mexico. I'm still in the same spot. Um, but it feels just as fun and energetic and as chaotic as it did. And, you know, we attribute negative connotations sometimes to chaos. I don't mean it negatively. I just mean there's a lot going on and yeah, that kind of suits me. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that would have to be it. If you have to ask me off the top of my head. It's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Well, you made it. You did it. You made it through. Woo! Despite all my, my technical problems, your technical problems. <laughs> Technology, right? You guys, I yeah. have to say, and I, I'm sure others have expressed their gratitude as well. I am so grateful for you two doing this. Of course, it would be the two of you who come up with this creative, amazing way <laughs> to keep everybody connected and familiar with each other. You guys, this is an unbelievably thoughtful project so thank you Jessica and Carla's high school reunion is written directed and edited by Carla Silver and Jessica Slade our theme music True Sight is by Jared Matt Greenberg please subscribe and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.